0: hello and welcome to banter on the parkway brought to you by banners on the parkway i am not your host brian as today he is stuck in the snow trying to get home from work i'm brad from banners on the parkway and i'll be taking over with me today i have two of the rest of the group Uh, the first one is brayden and brayden i've been told that i'm a bit of a downer at all times so instead of complaining about the snow i'm going to ask what is your favorite thing about the snow
1: it, it's, uh, it looks nice, it looks nice when it's off in the field. I don't like when it's on the road. So I've already broken the first rule you laid out for me, but I think it looks pretty uh, when I'm not driving in it.
0: Okay, Joel, we have the controversial take, snow is pretty. Is there a thing other than that, that you like about the snow and welcome to the show this week. Uh,
2: thank you. Uh, I spent like three hours shoveling driveways in my neighborhood yesterday. Most of which was spent in my own because I piled it on opposite sides of the driveway to make forts for my kids, and then they ran back and forth doing some weird approximation of a snowball fight that was usually kick the other guy's fort and then have him tackle me. So that was entertaining to watch. So I'm going to say that was my favorite thing about the most recent snow.
0: That's good. And I, I liked the subtle, I shoveled my neighbor's driveways in there. That was good, too. Here at Banners on the Parkway, committed to community service. Um, I don't like the snow, but I'm not going to rain on everyone else's parade because I know a lot of people, especially those of us or those of you listening down in the Cincinnati area, are really enjoying the snow. After like the 80th inch of the year, it gets a little bit old. In basketball this week, speaking of people who have gotten old but aren't really showing it, uh, Chris Beard last night, Texas Tech coach, went absolutely crazy after some calls that he did not agree with. Um, thankfully he had the master of going crazy after calls that he did not agree with Bob Huggins right there to witness the whole thing. Um, Brayden, have you ever watched a college basketball game in which a coach yelled at the referee and the referee then decided, you know what, I'm going to change the call based on that thoughtful input you've given me.
1: I've not seen as many college basketball games as you have, but in my experience of watching, I've not ever seen that happen. I've not seen that at any level of basketball um, and I've not seen many coaches throw that much of a temper tantrum, to be honest with you. He went absolutely nuts. But uh, yeah, it's not, it's not going to change the call. He should have figured that out by now. I'm only 20, and I figured that out. Um, I know he's older than me, so I feel like he should have enough experience to know that.
0: Um, I believe he's 42, which, uh, if we're going by the Mike Leach approximation, does make him a grown man um
2: that's mike gundy you're working on there mike gundy is a man
0: is 40. okay okay mike gundy is a man in 40. so by by that rule then chris beard is also a man because he's older than 40 does anybody know what he was doing when he sat down at the top of the key uh what was he trying to convey there other than it almost looked like he tried to sit on a chair angrily and missed
2: I think you burn a lot of calories having a rant like that. And if you don't hydrate properly before you just run the risk of losing equilibrium. And I think that's what that was about. And then he tried to sal- salvage it later by standing back up and continuing to act
0: like a fool. I just, you know, in raising children, which is something that we're both trying to do. I'm, I don't respond really well to being screamed at like that by someone who is questioning my authority. I can't imagine that the referees were like, We had to throw that guy out, but he had some great points, and I think we'll officiate this game differently now. Uh, It's probably not what happened there. Uh, Speaking of people who weren't making great points last night, Joel, you got into a little bit of the Twitter discussion between Aaron Torres and Ken Palm regarding the difference between the eye test and what the actual numbers tell us. Uh, Can you kind of break that down for us a little bit and explain how the advanced metrics show a little bit more about a basketball game than you might be able to see by watching?
2: Well, what's interesting about Aaron Torres, other than the fact that he doesn't understand basketball, and I want to preface this by saying it's not personal for Aaron Torres for me with Aaron Torres. I, there's every chance that he's a great guy and he might be fun to sit down and share a soda with. Um, but whatever his lane is, he should stay in it because it's clearly not college basketball. So uh, Alabama beat South Carolina yesterday. It wasn't perfunctory, but after the first You know, 10 minutes or so, their win probability never really dropped below 75%. And they more or less uh, walked it to the line at the end, uh, executing down the stretch the way that teams do. Aaron Torres decided to uh, get on Twitter and say that uh, Alabama's defense was the reason that they're going to be vulnerable coming down the stretch and on into March. If you get a chance to watch a lot of college basketball or maybe just, like, click on links and spend the 20 bucks to get Ken Palm, Alabama's the second best defense in the nation right now. So maybe their defense isn't what's going to make them vulnerable. Uh, Ken Palm, quote, tweeted Aaron Torres and said, uh, yeah, they gave up 78 points, but they held South Carolina to its third worst points per possession of the season. And uh, basically said they've been continuously outstanding. Aaron Torres said, no, 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 no. They allowed South Carolina to shoot 44% from the field and they shouldn't be happy with that defensive performance. So a couple things about that. First of all, a defensive performance doesn't begin and end with shooting from the field. South Carolina scored less than one point per possession. Uh, Alabama forced turnovers on more than 23% of South Carolina's possessions. Uh, pretty much crushed them on the glass. This was not a good offensive performance for South Carolina. Uh, If you look at just some raw numbers, I don't know what Aaron Torres thought he was looking at with 44% from the field, but if you shoot 44% from the floor on the year, 44.4% is what they shot last night. That would be 165th in the nation. If your team is 165th in the nation in anything, you're not doing very well. Uh, Longwood is 165th fifth in the nation in shooting percentage at 44.4% from the floor. So uh, I guess outside of the very narrow demographic that would be pleased at matching Longwood, um, South Carolina is not happy with this offensive performance. They scored 0.95 points per possession. Uh, If they did that all year, they'd be 281st in the nation tied with East Carolina. So Alabama did a great job on defense against South Carolina And Aaron Torres decided to make a dumb tweet about it and then doubled down when Ken Palm called him out on it. Uh, If you hold a team to 44%, you've done a good job. If you hold them to 0.95 points per possession, you've done a great job. Uh, The metrics and the statistical evidence that we're able to get to now have taught us a lot about how we can understand basketball and understand what we're looking at a little bit better. And uh, Aaron Torres just hasn't taken advantage of that. Uh, some dude named Jonah Rapert or Rappert, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, Jonah, uh, weighed in and said basically he didn't understand, and he and I got into a little back and forth, and to his credit, he was civil and receptive, and sometimes he didn't always agree with me, but we had a good exchange on Twitter last night, so hopefully Aaron Torres reads his mention- mentions and lets that help him understand the game he's getting paid to cover better But in my experience, he probably won't and will probably stay mad. And that's fine, too.
0: And that's how Twitter and exceedingly America works. Um, I don't know if you got to see the end of this game, um, but Nate Oates did something that I thought was a brilliant coaching move. South Carolina was inbounding the ball down three with two point three left under Alabama's bucket. So they had the ball in their own offensive end. Nate Oates did not guard the ball and doubled anybody who came open outside the arc. He left all of his defenders outside the arc and forced South Carolina to inbound to lay it up and only take the two. Have you seen anything like that before, Braden?
1: I don't know if I've seen that exact thing before. I, I believe that's a great move there um, because – We all hate when somebody says, you don't need the three here, and they actually do. So he clearly uh, knew the situation, knew that a three is what it's going to take. But I've not seen anything uh, that, uh, I don't know if gimmicked is the right word, because usually they'll put somebody on the ball or they'll leave somebody by the rim uh, just as an extra safety. So the fact he leaned all the way into that no threes approach and doubling anybody who's open, um, that's, I mean, that's a little out there. Uh, as far as what most coaches actually do. But I think that's a great move. I think that's a great move, and I've not seen a whole lot of stuff like that.
0: And the announcers did say, oh, you know, you take the quick here, two here, and you still have a chance. Um, of course, South Carolina took the quick two. Alabama then made the free throws, and South Carolina had 1.8 seconds to try to heave the ball 94 feet and get it into the hoop. When South Carolina made that two-pointer, they increased their win probability. To 8.1%. So I think that uh, definitely the move, anytime you can increase your win probability to 8.1% rather than tying the game, that's the move you got to make. I really thought that was interesting and uh, intelligent coaching from Nate Oates there because he showed that he knows what the numbers do say. We've not gotten to see any interesting or intelligent coaching from Travis Steele this week because, once again, Xavier's basketball team is not playing basketball Uh, This week it was a game canceled against DePaul. That should have been tomorrow, which now leaves Xavier in the somewhat amusing predicament of if you go to their Bark Torvik page, it's currently showing them as having six games scheduled on the 1st of April. I'm not seeing them getting those all in. Um, Definitely would be tough with some of the travel arrangements they'd have to make. Xavier tried to find other games, a Q1 or a Q2 game. Uh, Joel, was there ever really a chance that they were going to find another game?
2: You know, on the surface, you always think, well, we've got a day off. Certainly somebody wants to play. The problem is um, the Big East isn't going to let Xavier schedule a non-conference game if uh, it ruins the chances or diminishes the chances of Xavier getting their conference games in. So right away, you need a team coming from a conference whose testing standards meet the Big East's testing standards. That knocks out a lot of your low majors and mid majors. Um, Obviously, Xavier wasn't necessarily hunting those kinds of teams anyway because they want a Q1 or a Q2. Uh, But you can find teams from those leagues who will give you good games. Um, With that said, then you're, you're pretty much confined to high major teams. And you're going to try to restrict travel as much as possible. Obviously, the the dream matchup was Xavier scooping up a game with Gonzaga. Realistically, there was never a chance of that happening, but, you know, weird things do happen on occasion. So Xavier looking to stay local and looking to play against a good team. Then you start clicking through and seeing, oh, which teams have an open date. Most of the, the teams that you start Thinking about you, look at Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago is fifteenth in the Ken right now. That would have been a really good game. You know, West Virginia, most of the Big Ten, uh some of the ACC teams. Xavier would have been even if they had the date open. Xavier would have been their third game of the week. So any team that already had a midweek fixture is out. So basically, you're looking for teams who have lost a game to the coronavirus, don't have the coronavirus. Have the testing facilities to be acceptable to the Big East and don't suck. And you go from the 350-some-odd teams in Division I way, way down. And, you know, if Xavier couldn't make it happen, I'm convinced it's because it wasn't possible. Uh, One thing Xavier does, as well as anybody in the nation, is schedule. We have Mario Mercurio to thank for, for the bulk of that but the administration does a good job uh, supporting the Muskies, getting games in. And, you know, the fact that we haven't heard anything yet indicates to me that all realistic options were exhausted and it just couldn't, couldn't be done. But I'd like to thank everybody on Twitter who tagged Mario Mercurio into the news that Gonzaga had their midweek game canceled after their BYU game, uh, much like Travis Steele and transfer news you gotta, you got to get these guys into those mentions on Twitter or else they're just not going to be aware of the things that are going around in the uh, greater D1 atmosphere. So good work. Keep those heads on swivels, Xavier Twitter. We might get another chance to uh, make this season for our favorite
0: team. And don't forget to tweet at your favorite 17-year-olds also. Um, that goes over well all of the time. Um, this For, is probably for reference, happen-
2: Brad's talking about recruits there not people you're counting down to their 18th birthday for other more nefarious reasons. Just I'm confident none of our listeners would have made that mistake. But uh, FBI, if you're looking here, look elsewhere.
0: <laughs> we might have some young <laughs> listeners who are still caught up in, in those hormones and everything and haven't had life beat out on my doubling sidewalks for three hours. <laughs> Just watch them back across them then. Um, Xavier is not yet back fully practicing. They're supposed to start tonight. Have full practice again tomorrow. Um, Braden Xavier's eleven and two on the season, four and two in the Big East. As things stand, they're hopeful of getting five, six more games in. You know, it's hard to say at this point. The full schedule would be seven. We've not heard anything about Connecticut on Saturday, assuming they're going to play. How do you see Xavier setting up for the NCAA tournament right now, and what do you think they need to do, if anything, to cement a bid?
1: Cementing a bid is obviously going to be a bit of a challenge just getting good games in. We've talked about that on Twitter a lot. And looking ahead at their schedule, the big games coming up, the only two Q1s we have left on the schedule that are actually on the schedule are at St. John's and hosting Creighton. So those will be two big chances to get high-quality wins. Connecticut comes to the Cintas, like you said, on Saturday, or at least they're planning on it. That's a Q2 game. So if we can get those games in, those would be very big. Um, In the bracket matrix, X is on 96 of the brackets, as low as a 12 and as high as a 5. So I'm confident that the resume we've got right now is good enough. Um, Adding to it would obviously be really good, and, you know, losing a game like Butler or Providence right now would look really bad, or Georgetown, that would look just terrible because they're steamed garbage. But the way it's look- looking right now, X's resume is good enough to get him in. Um, they're mostly projected around that 8-9 area, so that would be pretty decent. Uh, But yeah, those remaining games, Connecticut, St. John's and Creighton are going to be the big ones that we really want to get in and really want to get wins in those and then just avoid the pitfalls in the other ones. But the way it's stacking up right now, it, it should do, but getting a few more in would definitely do us good. What were you Uh, thinking on that?
0: Just looking
2: at the bracket bracket matrix, uh, Brandon pointed out Xavier's in 96 of the brackets they have. They only have 97 right now. The only one that they were missing was somebody called JSB Bracket. Uh, Obviously, with like 100 of these going around, I don't know who all these people are, but I'm confident this guy or gal's giving it their best. Uh, That was updated on the ninth for the Bracket Matrix. JSB has since put out a bracket uh, today that has Xavier as a 7 seed. So. Obviously, they've seen the error in their ways after the, the great results Xavier put up between the ninth and the 10th and jumped them from <laughs> not quite in to uh, being the favored team in the first round. Uh, we'll start our bubble watch uh, usually around the beginning of March. This is going to be a weird year, so I don't know. Uh, something weird might happen with that, but you can find them all over the place already. Uh, ESPN, you can pay money that will ultimately, some of which will end up in the hands of UC's athletic department to get ESPN Plus and read their bubble watch. Or uh, the dudes from HeatCheckCBB.com just released like 8,000 words of bubble watch today uh, for freebies, and none of that money ever ends up at UC. So uh, that's just one of the many bubble watches you can find. They have Xavier as Uh, comfortably in the field at this point in time, but you can check that out. The only downside of that is that even though it's free, it's written by a Butler fan this week. So your mileage may vary there. If I'd have done more due diligence on that, I wouldn't have retweeted the link, but (laughs) uh, yeah, it's, I mean, March was lopped off of our basketball season last year, and that's pretty much what we live for here. So You know, whatever gets you through frickin' February. And one of the things I love to do is read way too much about where guys are going to end up in the tournament when there's still 10 or 12 games left to be played. So get those bubble watches
0: rolling, folks. I also like to flip around on the bracket matrix, and I thought the variance that Braden mentioned in Xavier's possible seeding was pretty extreme. um, Until I looked at BYU. The highest they appear on any bracket, and they're on 96, the same as Xavier, is second, a two seed. The lowest they appear on any bracket is a 12 seed. So BYU is in, and they will either be a protected seed, or they might be playing in one of the play-in games, according to the bracket matrix. I just thought that was pretty interesting. Across the Big East, we had some action this week, thankfully, to get us through when we don't have Xavier games to watch. Uh... Last night, St. John's, who has been on a pretty good run, had made themselves respectable, really spit the bit against Butler. Uh, What happened there, Joel?
2: Uh, Well, they played a team they should have handily and instead lost to them. Uh, I think, you know, reasonable people vary on whether Butler sucks or sucks a lot, but one of the things that I think that they did pretty well was identify a matchup of the point guards as something they could take advantage of. So obviously it's no uh, mystery that St. John's is going to try to speed you up, try to make you pass to guys you don't want to pass to uh, maybe make you do something crazy, like inbound the ball to your seven foot center when you got to go the length of the court in four seconds and generally try to make the game hectic. And, uh, I thought Butler did a good job down the stretch of identifying the fact that Posh Alexander, for whatever reason, couldn't stop Aaron Thompson one-on-one. And they managed to get the ball across half court, Iso Thompson on Alexander, and let him go to work. Uh, I'm not a huge Aaron Thompson fan. I think somebody on this podcast referred to him as a pretend basketball player. I'm not sure I would go that far. But the man basically doesn't have a jump shot and you know he's he's good for two things and that's ball security and passing to guys who can make baskets and he put 17 on posh alexander's head uh, basically the last play regulation for butler they cleared out for thompson isoed him on alexander uh he drove alexander stopped him he hit him with a little hezo and uh alexander more or less nodded off on his feet and thompson dribbled right past him for an uncontested right-handed layup which he can make and he went ahead and proved that and you know butler did a good job of taking advantage of that matchup down the stretch and into overtime and unfortunately st john's didn't really have a an adjustment to the adjustment that butler had made so laval jordan his uh you know, his coaching resume, his results have kind of been all over the map, but I thought he did a really good job of picking out one thing that he could use to to beat a team that should have been beating them last night. And he was able to leverage it just enough to, to have them make that walk back to the dorms from their barns with a win in hand.
0: And that ultimately is how you end up getting wins in a tight conference is picking a matchup that you can exploit and then win. <laughs> People who don't do that include Ed Cooley, Braden. Uh, Providence has still lost three in a row. In that last game, he ran flex low again. We discussed all of that. Um, They are most likely out of tournament contention unless they do some serious work. Marquette um, managed to knock off Butler since the last time we talked, but then they lost to St. John's. What do you see – or I'm sorry, they lost to Creighton. What do you see happening here in the Big East, Braden?
1: see it being, a, uh, it's still a very tight conference, obviously, um but you do see the teams on top, like the Nova, Creighton. Uh, I think Seton Hall, to a certain extent, is one of the better teams in the conference right now. Uh But then you've got those other teams, like Providence uh is just kind of sucking the paint off the walls recently. They've fallen way off. They went from a decent non-con where they had no bad losses to now they just don't have any good wins on their resume apart from a win uh, over Creighton. But now they've dropped games to Georgetown, St. John's and uh, Marquette, which Marquette's also uh, sinking like a stone. But the conference right now, uh, at least in the net, they've got, we've got four projected uh, teams. That's Nova Creighton X and Seton hall. Um, Connecticut is just outside of that. Um, They it, it, they've looked a little bit off recently, obviously, without Book Knight. Um, they've had a few guys stepping up and taking more scoring roles, but they're still kind of trying to find their way without him. Uh, St. John's, they've they've been good recently up until that pitfall against Butler, but they might be able to crack it. Um, you, just, you just don't know at this point. It's going to come down to what games they can get in and if those games they get in. Uh, if they can get solid wins. They've still got X, Nova, and Seton Hall. So they've got chances um, if they can get those games in and preferably beat Nova or Seton Hall. Uh, they might might be able to just get that big resume win. So as far as the overall conference goes, it is pretty tight. There's some teams separating themselves as far as tournament projection goes. But you've got UConn, you got St. John's that are just outside of it right now that might be able to make that little push to get in there. Other than that, you know, DePaul never had a hope. Butler's terrible. Georgetown's not very good. Marquette and Providence have fallen way off. So unless unless Marquette can salvage their season uh, in the next few games and get rolling again, I don't think they've got any chance of making it. But look for St. Johnson and UConn to be making that push there. Um I will say one positive from St. John's game uh, against Butler. Going into that game, their Ken Pomerank was 68th. Uh, That loss actually dropped them one spot down to 69th. So I thought that was the nice stat of the week. Nice.
2: Uh, Nice. Yes. You kind of pointed out the teams that are hopeless: Butler, Marquette, Providence, Georgetown, DePaul. Those guys are auto bid or um, just go right into your COVID protocols. The Villanova, Creighton, and Xavier are well-positioned, and I think that middle group of Seton Hall, Connecticut, and St. Jonathan's could kind of go either way. So we're looking at potentially a down year for the Big East with maybe only four or five teams in the tournament. Uh, Seton Hall is 11-8, and eight, which isn't you know super impressive. They've only got one Q3 loss, though, and they've got six Q1 or Q2 wins. UConn is basically the exact opposite. They're only three and four in the top two quadrants, but they don't have any losses outside of that. And St. John's might beat the best team in the league on any given night, or they might lose to Butler. Uh, They're young. They've got a play style that is great when it works and leaves them open to a lot of variance when it doesn't. So those teams, I think are probably going to cannibalize each other down the stretch. They each need, the good wins that beaten one another would provide. And, you know, it's hard for me to see unless there's a, you know, an interesting kind of combination of results that gives them each good wins without beating each other up too badly. I don't think all three of them can make it, but I think each of them individually has a reason for their fan bases to believe that they can make the run and end up in a, a decent position come selection Sunday.
0: And it's interesting, we're talking about the Big East having a down year. They're still, by Ken Palm's measure, the fifth best conference in the nation. And that is a down year for the Big East, but that's also kind of a measure of their success. I also like that Braden pronounces Book Night, um, Book Night, as if he might be like Suge Knight's son, possibly. Or, uh, we'll
1: Do have you know to keep an eye not? on
0: sort of courtside violence that may take place.
2: He's named so, after Book Richardson. I don't know if you knew
0: that. Okay. Okay. That's, <laughs> that makes it make more sense then. of um, your newsletter last week. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. Talked about the foul or defend question. Um, up three, limited time left on the clock. This has been a thing since the Greg Oden assault on Justin Cage, um, which was absolutely an intentional or technical foul. Greg Oden has admitted that. I will never let that go. So we both end up on the same side of the river in the afterlife? I'm going to bring that up to him. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that's what the afterlife is for, as I recall. It's in Revelation somewhere. It's praising the Lord and airing your college basketball grievances. It's all in there. Uh, Don't check it. But foul or defend, it's a contentious question, so I'll kick it to both of you. Braden, where are you on foul or defend?
1: I'm I'm a bigger fan of defend, personally. I know statistically it makes nearly no difference, but the thing I like about defending is you can really sell out on taking away the three ball and not worry about any sort of rip or pull-up jumper that's going to be a two-point bucket. The thing with fouling is that you could uh, run into the situation like 2 Holloway did against K-State, where they tried to foul him, and he just pulled from three and then sank all three free throws anyway. So that's something that I think you avoid by not even trying to go for the foul. And also, then you've got to rebound the free throws, and you have to secure it. Uh, I know that that's something that should be easy as the defensive team, but you never know what's going to happen when it goes up and comes off the iron. So I'm a bigger fan of defend, because I think you can just sell completely out, take the three away. And if they hit it with three guys, if, if he hits it with three guys in his face, then, you know, so be it. You got to overtime then.
2: I think uh, it's a situational thing. Basically, it boils down to uh, do I think my team can win a free throw shooting contest against this other team? Uh, recent iterations of Xavier basketball, I'm kind of more defend than foul. Because those guys weren't winning a lot of free throw contests. If you have somebody who is just nails from the line like two Holloway was, and I know it's not the, the point Braden was making, but he, he gives you a chance to do the foul thing and just bleed out the clock, watching him make his All-American case from the line, boost that points per game average. The, the other variable is obviously how well the other team shoots the three. Because if they don't, then... You know, you can make it contested and take your chances with it. But uh, it's one of those things where if it works, your fan base is going to say, hey, man, it was a good idea to foul or it was a good idea not to foul. And if it doesn't work, you're going to be wrong no matter what you did. So uh, like everybody and his mom on this podcast has pointed out, statistically, it makes no difference. Situationally, it's one of those things that might give you you know, 1% or 2% chance either way, plus or minus how good the other team is at free throws and three-point shooting. But the bottom line is going to be execution, whatever the strategy is, because if you execute your strategy poorly, then you are watching the other team's point guard shoot three free throws or somebody rack out an uncontested tree because you weren't able to to do what you decided to do in the huddle.
0: And for anybody who has not had a chance to look at the statistics and is listening. Basically, either way, you have a higher than 90% chance of winning once you've worked yourself into up three with three to four seconds to go. Your chances of winning are, based, are about eight-tenths of a percent higher to one-and-a-half percent higher if you defend. So like Joel and Braden have both said, that is statistically meaningless um, in the last three seconds of a college basketball game. I personally am a fan of defending – Because I would, that to me feels like winning the game actively rather than um, passively. And I just always like my chances defending. Um, I'm also personally a fan of the refs calling Greg Oden when he two-arm shoves somebody into the basket stanchion, um, causing an injury. And that being clearly a foul and my team then not winning the game. But that, I guess, is beside the point. And I've clearly moved on. Um, That's been 13 years, 14 years. Oof. no longer than that
2: because that was over a spring break when i was on the baseball team so yeah That's seven years was it yeah 14 coming up on 14
0: yeah so every time my kids ask me why i won't cheer for ohio state football other than the rich vein of contrarianism in which i always find myself i mention that game um i just cannot cheer for an ohio state team after that i don't think anyone should i think it's against our religion um I'm, I'm leaning too much into the religion thing here i am going to church later so i'll try to get it right when i'm there uh, <clears throat> that's about all we have basketball wise this week unfortunately there's just not a whole lot of xavier basketball to talk about across several oceans though um on k2 the most dangerous mountain in the world there was a rescue mission mounted to try to find three missing climbers um, guys who had already summited the mountain in the winter, tried to go back up to rescue those guys that were still missing. It was unfortunately unsuccessful, but unquestionably a moment of actual heroism. Brayden, do you have a favorite moment of sports related actual heroism?
1: I do actually um, throw back to the ivory coast. Um, they were going through a time of civil war. In the early 2000s with the 2006 World Cup coming up and their their team uh, that was trying to qualify was their own golden generation. They had uh, Drogba, Yaya Torre, Solomon Kalu, a bunch of very talented uh, oh, card soccer card. players. Yeah, him, too. <laughs> um, I was trying to keep it short, but uh, he's very short. Yeah, so he's they, had, <laughs> they had a very talented team. Uh, And that team uh, made several uh, appearances uh, to the media, to the government, um, and Drogba personally uh, made this uh, very impassioned speech uh, to both sides of the Civil War um, just to kind of put their differences aside to support their national team, try to bring the country together, and it actually worked. And in the match where they qualified for the 2006 World Cup, he ended up scoring um, what was the deciding goal. And uh, the, the whole place erupted. Uh, it led actually to the uh, full on uh, peace resolution. So, I thought that that's a big moment of real heroism using uh that platform to make things better in his country. So, that's the one I'm going with.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm going to say stopping a civil war is uh, that's that's yeah. up there for.
1: Right. Rightly so. He won African footballer of the year. So I, I think it was partially for the tons of goals he scored, but also for stopping a civil war. So, yeah. that?
2: Yeah. Um, so one thing you should understand about me is that my teams never win anything. I don't really <laughs> care about the NBA. I cheer for Cleveland sports and everything else. And that is just a recipe for. Uh, being emotionally gutted on a semi-regular basis. So like Brandon, I'm gonna go to international soccer, and I have two of them. Uh, The first comes from a European international soccer championship that Brent and I actually watched together. I was cheering for Turkey, and uh, I'm gonna get these pronunciations wrong, so apologies in advance to any Turkish people we have listening. Uh, but basically their goalkeeper was a dude called Volcan Demirel, and he had gotten suspended. So they brought a guy who was like 42 years old called Rustu Rekbar out to be their goalie for an elimination game. Uh, he did okay. But then in late in extra time, he tried to chase down a ball that he might've gotten to in his prime, but he did not in what was not his prime. And, uh, the opponent scored a super easy goal that was going to put them through and eliminate Turkey. Everybody was sad. Uh, the Turks basically had one more shot at it. They got a, a late offside call. Rustu hoofed the ball deep, and a man called semi sentürk brought it down on the turn and roofed it to, to tie the game, sent it into an, a penalty shootout that Turkey ended up winning, and... You know, I was younger then, I was more emotionally invested in the things that I watched. And I was pretty sad that, that my boys were gonna go out and then semi just appeared out of a crowd in the opposing penalty box and hammered it home and then ran through and shushed the entire crowd. So that was a pretty cool moment. And then my other one is the, the World Cup that Germany won. I've always pulled for Germany in soccer for reasons that are too difficult to explain here, but basically my mom's of German extraction. And my brother always took the teams that he liked first, so I was left with the the Germans. Uh, So in overtime, extra time in the uh, 2014 World Cup final, Andrea Scherla ran down the left flank, chipped it into Mario Gertza. He brought it down on his chest, put it home first time with his weaker left foot. Uh, I especially liked Andrea Scherla's contribution to that because injuries gutted his entire career basically before and after that, but for one World Cup, he was pretty much a national hero. So good for you, Andrea. He's already retired now.
0: Yes, at 31 years old, I believe. Yep. And I was, I was hoping you were going to go with the Ernest Shackleton story, since that's mildly sporting-related, and I don't that's know really it well. That's
2: really not sporting at all.
0: Well, I, I mean, that's the race,
2: the race for the mean- South. Now- you write Are these not- scripts. Give me an opportunity to tell that story next week, and I'll be back.
0: I'll, That's I'll definitely worth if Tune in. I thought the uh, I thought the race for the South Pole counted as a sporting endeavor. Are we not not counting that as you're, sporting? You're
1: wrong. Endeavor?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't <laughs> think the Golden Age of Exploration was a sport, but uh, I'll bring that back next week. Don't worry. What do you? Do you have a favorite moment of sports heroism,
0: Brad? Well, I mean, do we count mountaineering as sporting? I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly treading on thin ice here.
2: I mean, I wrote because... a whole blog post about what counts as a sport and neither mountaineering nor exploring was in there. But, you know, you if probably mountaineering... had some when you typed this, so go for it.
1: <laughs> if mountaineering is all you prepared, have at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had several things, but... Um... That was the one that came to mind was uh, Anatoly Bukreve on Everest in 1996 in the situation that has been made famous by John Krakauer's book Into Thin Air. Um, And then the movie, I believe it's just called Everest, um, with Josh Brolin and other people. Um, But Anatoly Bukreve summited early in the day without using oxygen and managed to get himself down before the storm that would kill so many other people hit, um, was in his tents at the camp resting when he realized something was going on, left a tent to go out and try to find other people still without any supplemental oxygen and in the death zone on Mount Everest, couldn't find other people, came back, rested, and then went out again um, and was able to find some people and bring them back to safety, several of whom uh, owe their lives to him now, despite the fact he has he passed on, I think, six years after that in another mountaineering accident. I will grant that that is on the very edge of sporting. How about we go with athletic endeavor? Um, that has always just stuck in my mind. I read that book uh, probably once a year just to remember it. Speaking of happier things, Xavier is supposed to play on Saturday against UConn. At this point in time, we have not heard any sort of Um, late-breaking COVID news that would cancel that game. Uh, Travis Steele has said today that the Musketeers do intend to play. We've not heard anything out of UConn that would suggest that they don't. Hopefully this will be the start of a fun new Big East rivalry. Um, UConn was led by Suge Knight's son, Book. Um, (laughs) He is injured. But uh, they still have a good team. They have also been missing several games they've played twice since the 26th of january they beat butler and lost to seton hall that loss to seton hall did come on saturday six the so they'll only have been a week without a game um, as compared to xavier should be a good game we will have all the coverage of that and hopefully be back for a podcast in which we can actually talk about basketball next week and we'll see you all then